Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Lakers use the trade deadline as their offseason. So where do they go from here to get back to the finals? Also, is Shohei Otani putting together the best season in modern baseball history? And the Canadians made the call that everyone told them not to with the fifth pick in the NHL draft. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to sign up. You could make the case the Lakers had their offseason a couple months early. A slew of moves helped them get to the Western Conference Finals. But now they have decisions to make about a number of players on their roster and the direction that they want to go. Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers joins me now. And, and Andy, there are wildly disparate views on what guys like uh, Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves are going to get on the market here. What is the the top line action items here for the Lakers? I think it's definitely from the Lakers' perspective, retaining Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Um, from there, you can create a, an order of importance that I think might vary a little bit depending on who you ask or the price point. You know, whether or not you'd rather keep D'Angelo Russell or Dennis Schroeder, I think to some degree it's going to depend on what it costs. In the case of Dennis Schroeder, um, there could be cap limitations that would even allow them to bring him back, depending on um, what his open market value is. But Rob Palinka has made it pretty clear that they're looking to not just maintain as much continuity as possible but also maintain some of the youth in their continuity. And that really is pretty openly Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. They're definitely, I would say, priority one and priority 1A. We've talked about Golden State with this idea of two timelines. I know that the the age difference isn't quite the same, but... Did we see a version of the, the two timelines approach last year for the Lakers with Anthony Davis taking on a bigger role? And then you see the ascendance of guys like Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura to give them, you know, whatever's going to come next in the next phase of LeBron's career. I mean, LeBron might have six more phases. We don't know. But it it does seem like we haven't really we haven't really had that sort of discussion with the Lakers, but it's it's kind of happening. That that's an interesting way of putting it, Peter. And I'd never actually thought about it that way before, just because LeBron and AD had been considered not just on the same timeline for so long, but also like kind of a package deal in their own right. Sure. And and that idea also too of AD's ascendance, frankly, that's something that I think they were looking for a couple seasons ago. Like the mm-hmm. idea that Anthony Davis would be really the the engine of the metaphorical car while LeBron would be the guy guiding it, steering it, still playing at a very high level. But where it really felt like Anthony Davis was the team's most productive, depending on how you want to define it, best player, certainly the best two-way player. And there have been times where Anthony Davis has been that guy. You know, the limitations typically have come in either the form of injury or sometimes a bit of inconsistency with scoring. But I also think the focus on Anthony Davis's scoring in a lot of ways really underscores being attached to LeBron 
because Anthony Davis's scoring with just about any other superstar would be fine. Or if LeBron was 32, people would be looking at AD as his number two. Is that's unfair to the rest of the league? Yeah. You know, Anthony Davis averaged 26 points in the regular season. I think around 22 in the playoffs. Even if you don't like the idea of his scoring average going down in the postseason, 22 is still nothing to sneeze at. The problem is you're trying to lessen these burdens on LeBron. So it's as amazing as what LeBron still does at this stage of his career. There's no question that he is diminishing. You know, it's it's an an incredibly incremental diminishing returns for a guy entering his 21st season, going to be turning 39. But there is a certain degree of decline. So that's what makes this so tricky. I think the guy, as far as the two tracks go with guys like Rui and Austin, though, I think that's a little bit card ahead of the horse just because I don't know if they're grooming those guys to eventually become like the number one or, you know, like number two alongside Anthony Davis. That could be a couple of years from now. Who knows what the team looks like? Who knows if Anthony Davis will still be on the team in a couple of years? Stay up to date all year on the LA Lakers by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Lakers on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up is Shohei Otani putting together the best baseball season ever. Before we get to that, the New England Patriots gave a wide receiver a new contract, but not the one you're thinking of. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Max Scherzer is on the bump for the Mets against the Brewers tonight. FanDuel likes the Mets to win on the money line at minus 184. You can even increase your winnings by putting together a same-game parlay. String together some players you think will get a hit or go big with a home run parlay. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. New England Patriots wide receiver Devontae Parker, who is entering the final year of his contract this season, has agreed to a new deal with the team through 2025. As part of the new three-year contract, Parker can earn up to $33 million if he achieves every per-game roster bonus, so he probably won't, and hits all his playing time and performance incentives that include all-pro honors, this according to the reporting around the deal. He totaled 31 receptions for 539 yards and three touchdowns last season in New England after being required from the Miami Dolphins in an offseason trade. Mets owner Steve Cohen spoke to the media on Wednesday before their matchup with the Brewers and said they were prepared for whatever comes next. The Mets followed that up with a loss to the Brewers. Hey everybody, Chuck Freeman from Lockdown Brewers. The Brewers have taken Two of the first three in New York against the Mets, a 5-2 win on Wednesday night. And the bullpen really did its job in relief of Wade Miley. He went the first four innings. Miley got out of a huge mess in a 2-2 game early on. Bases loaded, no out with a run in. He got out of it with the help of a double play ball. Bryce Wilson in middle relief improved to 3-0, and Devin Williams saved it in the ninth inning. But Christian Yelich, this was a 3-2 game late. He came up with a two-run knock and helped cement this victory. 
terrific, terrific win for the Brewers. Adrian Hauser pitches on Thursday in the finale, and the Brewers move on to Pittsburgh. We'll talk about all this coming up on Locked On Brewers. We'll talk to you a little bit later on, everybody. Chuck Freeman on Locked On Brewers and Locked On Podcast Network. The Twins saw a concerning trend continue as they lost to the Braves. 45 times this season, the Twins have struck out at least 10 times. With a record of 15 and 30 in those games, and that includes Wednesday's series finale against the Braves, which the Twins lost in lifeless fashion 3-0. By comparison, last year, the Twins only did so 47 times, which is quite a difference. Kentamaino was solid, going five innings and allowing just two earned runs against arguably the best offense in baseball going right now. But zero runs won't win you any games, and that was the case today. On the bright side, Twins can't lose on Thursday, but that's because they're off in advance of facing Baltimore. And for today's stat that you won't see anywhere else, the Twins have been in 0-2 counts 677 times this season, and only the A's and Royals have been in more. But guess what? Those are the two worst teams across all MLB with a combined record of 43 and 117. That's a 269 winning percentage. Check back later on how I'd fix the Twins. Domingo Herman, the guy who was booed off the mound in his last start, allowing 10 runs, has thrown the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. You couldn't write a script like that. They'd throw it away. They say implausible. Domingo Herman, in his previous two starts, combined for five and one third innings and gave up 17 runs, 15 of them earned. On Wednesday night in Oakland, Domingo Herman pitched a perfect game. I'm Stacy Gotsoulias of Locked On Yankees, and Domingo Herman pitched the fourth perfect game in Yankees history. The last perfect game, David Cohn, July 18th, 1999. The last no-hitter, Corey Kluber, in Texas, May 19th. 2021. This is the first Yankee Perfecto on the road. And since the Yankees scored 11 runs when they didn't need to, but they did, so good for the offense, it's the largest margin in a perfect game in Major League Baseball history. Lots to talk about, and we're going to on the next Locked On Yankees. So we'll be talking about Herman, we'll be talking about the offense. And we'll be previewing the series finale in Oakland. But the main story, Perfection by Domingo Herman. Here is another story you need to know. On Tuesday night, Shohei Otani became the first player since 1963 to have 10 strikeouts in a game and two home runs hit. He leads Major League Baseball in home runs and RBI. And he's third in strikeouts. Not, not swinging. Throwing, what he's doing has no modern precedent. John Frisch from Locked On Angels joins me now. And John, I, I know that this feels like one of those sports talk segments that we have to do in late June. But given what I just said, at what point do we have to start talking about this season from Otani as the greatest season in modern baseball history? Yeah, I didn't think he could top 2021 when he won the MVP, but... He's well on his way to doing it, man. He's it's funny. MVP season was his terrific hitting season last year when he uh, fell short of getting that MVP. I, you know, as a homer angel fan, I think he should have been, been had a better uh, spot in the MVP votes, but can understand the excitement around judge. But last year he was pitching better than he's ever pitched in his life. 
this year he's putting it all together. I know he had some some struggles there pitching wise out of the gate. You know that that sweeper that's in vogue right now for a lot of pitchers was giving him some grief. We saw him throw the splitter eleven times on Tuesday night, and that thing is just a sword, man. That thing uh, will get you the K almost every single time. So I think you combine twenty twenty one, you combine twenty twenty two. And we got those results in 2023. Here we are talking about him again and uh, well on his way to another MVP case. The other part of this, and it is always the conversation, it's been the conversation with the Angels for years because of Mike Trout, is we're finally seeing this payoff in the standings. This is an mm-hmm. Angels team that has a chance to get into the postseason. Um, they've been trending in the right direction. They're they're certainly playing above 500 baseball right now. So I guess it, the question isn't why are things different because the answer is Shohei Otani, but um, why why do you think it could be more sustainable this season? Well, you think about uh, the hitters they ran out through with five through nine last season. Uh, it was really pathetic. Uh, I got some good stats here for you, man. Angels hitters five through nine in twenty twenty two a sixty three weighted runs created plus. Peter, that was good for thirtieth in the league. Mm-hmm. A two hundred three batting. How many average. teams in the league again? <laughs> oh, 30, by mm, the way, okay. <laughs> uh, a 203 batting average, 30th Oof. in the league. Uh, compare that to Angels hitters five through nine this season, 104 weighted runs created plus. It's good for fifth and a 254 batting average. Also good for fifth. So you know that the depth moves of Brandon Drury and Gio Urshela, who's probably going to be out for the season and Hunter Renfro were huge for this team. And as soon as Rendon has been out for as long as he's been, Zach Neto's out. With an oblique injury, uh, we lost Gio Urshela probably for the rest of the season. Perry Manassian goes out, and he gets Eduardo Escobar from the Mets, and he gets Mike Moustakis from the Rockies. Not world changers, but guys who have been there before and guys who are going to help keep that weighted runs created plus above 100, not down in 63 like it was last season. I hate to go to this place, but anytime we talk about Otani, it seems like we also have to talk about his future. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about how many zeros are going to be in whatever contract that is is going to be. Now, we know he's not going to get paid. Like, he could get paid like a hundreds of million dollar pitcher and a hundreds of million dollar hitter. Right. But he's not going to get both. He's not going to get 800 million. He's not going to get a billion dollars. Is there a number, though, that you think the Angels go, "Mm, I don't know if we can stomach that? I think think that number is going to be around 600 million. I think... That 500 is going to be the floor for Shohei Otani. Now that's going to be, you know, 50, 50 million across 10 seasons. It might even be shorter than that. It might even be an eight-year deal or a five-year deal or something like that. But I think that 600 million, I think, is going to be that ceiling for Shohei Otani. Uh, if I had to guess, that's going to be stretching the budget pretty thin for the Angels. But look, they are paying him 30 million this year. They got a lot of guys coming off the books at the end of the season with one year deals that they brought over. So another, another 40 million to the payroll might not be the worst thing in the world for the angels. I just, as much as I love this team, uh, I'm frustrated with the likes of Artie Marino and their unwillingness to go above the luxury tax, which they consider a hard salary cap. They won't say it out loud, but that's the, that's the energy that they have toward the, luxury tax is staying below that threshold. And, and in terms of spreading the wealth, I mean, I think they can pay Shohei, but then we might go back to that very poor 
five through nine hitters again, where you're paying, you're paying uh, guys off the waiver wire so that you can save money wherever you can. We can't have that. Stay up to date all year on the LA Angels by subscribing to Locked On Sports Today and Locked On Angels on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, the Canadiens took a risk at number five. Will it pay off? There was a consensus idea as to what Montreal needed to do with the fifth pick in the NHL draft. The Canadians did not do that as Locked On Canadiens host Laura Saba tells Locked On NHL's Gil Martin and Locked On NHL prospects Hadi Kalakesh. Laura, were you surprised that the Habs went with the top defensemen on many people's boards? Yes and no. This would be the second year in a row that the consensus is not to do the thing. And then the Habs did the thing, right? This is something that we've been hearing about for weeks and weeks that they had an interest in him. And I want to be very, very clear. This is absolutely nothing against David Reinbacher. He seems like a decent player. He's got, you know, he's got a pretty high floor. I have a lot of questions about a ceiling. And Hattie, I know we're going to get into that in a moment. It just feels like the Canadians paid a lobster price for crap is what it feels like at this moment. They drafted him fifth overall when most rankings had him in that, in that 10 to 15 range. The highest that I saw was 11 in my, like myself. Most of them had 14, 15. And this is where I thought he should end up. I kind of understand given what Arizona did that there was a fear of him not being available and he was somebody they really wanted. So I had initially said, well, why didn't they trade down if they wanted a, you know, 10 to 15 ranked player? It's because Arizona wanted him, right? And you saw that he was on the phone. I know people were having conniptions when when Kent Hughes was on the phone when it was the Canadians' turn to pick. I wonder if it was just trying to suss out, is that what Arizona wanted, right? If that's what that and 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 if there was any way to sort of dissuade them from it, offering them something else. And then when they saw that wasn't happening, they decided on the pick. And again. I believe they're getting a solid defenseman. I believe they are filling a need. It's just to me, this need could have fill, been filled a little bit later in the draft. Not your, you know, like this is such a deep draft with so much talent and you're taking the fifth pick and you're using it on somebody ranked not fifth. That's all. Hadi, where was he on your board? Um, in all honesty, it was 16th. And let me explain because he's been higher on a lot of boards. I want everyone watching this, Habs fans or not, how much would you, how, what, how high a pick would you trade for a second pair defenseman? Because in all, in all likelihood, that's what David Reinbacher ends up being. He's rock solid defensively. He's a tremendous skater, um, really good at defending the rush and breaking out the puck. But there isn't much in his offensive game that screams top pair defenseman. And if you're looking at this and you go, yeah, I trade a fifth overall pick for a second round defenseman. Uh, second pair defenseman i've got a bridge to sell you i mean it's just i i understand the pick in terms of the logical standpoint of it there's a need at at right-handed d in montreal um reinbacher was definitely not going to be available past six we all know arizona was going to pick him i understand the rationale but you shouldn't make picks based on what others will select you should make picks based on the best player available and for me reinbacher was not the best player available and finally, depending on who you ask, Victor Wembanyama has grown a lot. Or or shrunk, San Antonio Spurs came out with the official height for the number one pick in this year's draft. He is seven feet, three and a half inches. 
So there, we can all sleep tonight knowing exactly how tall the next NBA phenom is. For now. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, which Western Conference team threatens the Nuggets the most this year? We get our crystal balls out as the NBA offseason is set to begin. So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.